right, KISS Army. Welcome to the KISS FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today and letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. We hope that you enjoy. 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 Welcome to episode 345 of the KISS FAQ Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian Gill, admin on the KISS FAQ message board, new and approved, now with sparkles. Um, joining me today, Marcus Almighty Mark. Greetings. 69th Blizzard Ken. Hello. And St. Louis Kiss Lonnie. What's up? All right, guys, we are going. There's no news this week, is there? I think, uh, no. There's nothing whatsoever <clears throat> happening in Kiss World that we want to talk about. So we're going to move on with part three of our album MVP battle. And thank you again to the person who suggested that on the board. We've been through our first two parts, and we are now up to the, well, the mid-80s when I enter the picture. <clears throat> Um, so it must be all good from here on out. Let's jump straight in with <laughs> Asylum and the MVP for that album. And I'm going first because that was my first album. And there's a reason I became a Kiss fan. And it was the MVP on that album, Paul Stanley. His songs, his lyrics, Tears Are Falling. I thought, hey man, he is cool. He is the breeze. I got to be a fan of that band. <laughs> Little did I know what it would turn into. It was actually when I went back and thought about it, I was like, okay, Eric Carr's drumming is fantastic, is incredible, it's really good throughout. But the songwriting that Paul brings, Who Wants to Be Lonely, um, that gem uh, all night. Uh, <laughs> but Tears Are Falling. I want a deluxe edition of that album with the keyboards version of that song. So Paul just wins it. Even though Bruce was new to the band and I could easily say Bruce, great guitar work. But no one else did either. So, uh, Lonnie, let's go to you. You're also Team Paul for this album. I agree. It is Team Paul Stanley for me for this album. You know, Paul's really taken over Kiss at this point. You know, and it, I, we kind of touched on that at the end of last week when we got in the Animalize. But Paul's really taken the reins. Gene has other interests. Um, you know, the, the Paul songs on this album just totally outweigh the Gene songs as they did on Animalize. So, um, who wants to be lonely all, all night? King in the mountain. Um, you know, tear, tears are falling. I mean, Paul Stanley reigns supreme on this album, and it's it, it was it was a very easy choice for me. Mark, easy choice for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, Paul Stanley. The reason why I picked him, besides the fact that he wrote the best songs on the record, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think that he did a stellar job producing this. I mean, we we know it says produced by Paul Angie, but we know Gene did dick all as far as the production that goes on this. So it was really a Paul Stanley production again for this. And I think he did a great job. I love this record. It's the record I always listen to when I listen to my non-makeup era stuff. This is the one I listen to all the time. I love it. Everything sounds good. The songs are good. And I mean, I know that Ken is a very big Gene supporter. So I don't, I'm not going to step on his toes and say anything derogatory about Gene, but I'm going to just say this, that even Gene's songs I like on this record. And I think that that has to attest to Paul, you know, doing some good production work on it and turning them into, you know, a cohesive, you know, songs within the structure of his as well, because I really like any way you slice. I think it's a good song and I've, I've always liked trial by fire and those, you know, they're not their, his strongest song. I think within the structure of this record, I think they sound pretty good. And I think Paul should be credited for doing a fantastic production job on this record because of that. Yeah, and Secretly Cruel is pretty good for for Gene mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, But even The Voice of Reason didn't pick Gene as the MVP for this. So, again, he is always speaking common sense, Ken. Well, I, I changed my mind. and, and uh, <laughs> I guess he didn't see your, that. I guess you didn't see that, but I changed my mind. And actually, I changed my mind again. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to all four members of the band because um, it, it's pretty cohesive across the board. Um and yes, you know, let's, let's let's be real though. You know, Radar for Love and uh, I'm Alive are are pretty low uh, end songs for Paul even um, on those. So if you count that all, and it, it evens out pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah, Bruce does a great job on his first first album. Great soloing, and obviously uh, Eric Carr was on fire too. So. I think it's pretty even across the board. I was going to say Paul first. Then I went, I was going to say Gene. 
<laughs> and because I, I think those Gene songs stand up pretty well uh, now, more so now than they did back then. Um, so I'm going to say all four members on that one. And why not? Because there and is just, no... Just to mess with your Excel spreadsheet. You know. <laughs> what, what, what do you think my spreadsheet is doing? It's doing absolutely nothing because I'm incapable of operating it today <laughs> after two very early 3 a.m. starts. So forget about <laughs> it. You win. All right, let's move on into crazy nights. Um, Lonnie, three of you agree, and one of us is an idiot. So um, why don't you tell me why you're on the side of sanity? I am on the side of sanity, and my choice was Ron Nevison as the MVP of Crazy Nights. Um, and we've talked about this, and we've talked about other albums, that to me the MVP is who is most responsible for the finished product. You know, and, and to me it is Ron Nevison for this album. You know, it, it's for a lot of albums I've, choos- I've chosen members of the band for a lot of albums, I've chosen producers where the producer's influence, I think, outweighs anything else as far as the final product. And I think Ron Nevison really does is is the MVP of this album because I think his contributions are more than than anything else shining in the final product. I mean, Kiss was going for we we all know that Kiss was going chasing trends on this album, wanted to be Bon Jovi, wanted to be Def Leppard, whatever, wanted to be an eighties you know, hair metal, for lack of better terms, band. And they went with the hot hand at the time, and they got an 80-sounding album. So, you know, you could say Paul Stanley for for his song contributions on here. You could say Bruce for his guitar playing, and I thought about Bruce for his guitar playing because it really shines on this album. It shows what a great guitarist he is and how right he was for Kiss at the time. But at the end of the day, I did choose Ron Nevison just because I think his hands and his fingerprints all, all over the final product um, outweighing any single member of the band. No, fair enough. And I think what's interesting, obviously, you mentioned Ron Nevison as the MVP. Our buddies over at the Ages of Rock podcast have just dedicated their latest episode to The Ultimate Sin, which is, oh, of course, cool. the other mm-hmm. heavy metal album that Ron got his hands on first that, that was released in mm-hmm. early 86. Still one of my favorite albums this day as well. So do check out the Ages of Rock podcast for that episode. Mark, what are your thoughts? Because you, you were in the majority on this one as well. Yeah, I definitely think Ron Nevison is the key factor of this record. I mean, look, I mean, Lonnie touched on it, too. They wanted to be Bon Jovi. They wanted to be current. They wanted to be, you know, the high-selling bands like those other guys are. And what was the factor in that? Well, Ron Nevison, like we just said, Ultimate Sin was done. You know, he did a couple of other records that charted very, very well. So, you know, if you want to be in that same league, then you get that guy. And then people now within the KISS world, like KISS fans, kind of say, well, okay, well, great, they got him. But it didn't exactly, you know, light up the world, this record. It didn't exactly save them. No, it didn't. But I think that has more to do with KISS than it has to do with Ron Neveson. I think at this point in their career, especially in amongst, and I get this feeling, I can't be 100% certain, but I get the feeling in amongst the industry, people like the DJs and all those kind of record promoter people, you know, when they heard there was a new Kiss record coming by Ron Nevison, they probably just kind of rolled their eyes. Okay, another Kiss record. I think that they were not exactly viewed as, you know, anything exciting at that point. But, you know, if somebody said to them, a new Bon Jovi record's coming, well, now we're talking. You know, to them, I think Kiss was kind of old hat at this time. So I don't care who they would have got as a producer. It probably wouldn't have sold much more than it did than it sold. But he did a great job in making it. No, I mean, if it was just another name on that album, probably would have sold a hell of a lot more. That's unfortunately how I kind of think Kiss were viewed at that time, you know. So, but he did a great job. The record sounds good, you know. Sure, it could have had a little bit more guitars and a little less keyboards, but he made it sound the way they were hoping it to sound. They got what they wanted. He did a great job. So I think that he definitely delivered what he was asked. Yeah, I, I think with, you know, again, at that point, Ozzy had come out, had had, you know, a moderate success with his album. Heart had been out with their with their uh, self-titled album, followed by Bad Animals. They, I think I people would have rolled their eyes. Oh, now Kiss is using Ron Nevison as well. Oh, they want an album that sounds like Heart, you know, let alone making mm-hmm. that, uh, that switch to Def Leppard and Bon Jovi. Ken? Yeah, well... 
they they got exactly what they wanted um, from Ron Nevison, and I think it's what, exactly what Paul wanted, because um, I, I believe Gene did not, he didn't want to go this route. Um, he wanted this, he didn't want the keyboards and that sort of stuff going on. Um, he wanted to keep it more rock. Um, so they got what they wanted. I mean, uh, you know, they got a, a neutered kiss on this album. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's kind of like Heart, kind of like Ozzy, kind of like Bon Jovi. Um, I know he did Loverboy. I, I would have rather it sound a little bit more like Loverboy than those other ones, actually, <laughs> um, to tell you the truth. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Ron Nevison did what he's was supposed to do. That's his producing style. It's obvious, obvious you know. His producing, you can tell, sounds the same pretty much across the board of those albums. You know, you can you can hear the the, the you know similarities there. So yeah, they got what they wanted, um, and unfortunately, it's you know, it's okay. Out you know, it's some good music on there uh, and performances. It's just the the darn production, um, and uh, they got what they asked for, and he delivered unfortunately and that is why he is not the mvp for me because when we talk about an mvp we're talking about valuable and he ground all the grit and edge off a rock band and didn't even manage to make it sound like slippery when wet that still had rock edge um hysteria had a bit gods of war you know animal women Mm -hmm. you know we're all pretty good rock songs before you got into the saccharin stuff and that's why i can't call him the mvp so i can't give it to paul either for steering the ship at this time because it took him two years to come up with bang bang you and that just you know makes me shudder to this day when we now know that gene had good songs that were going to black and blue like suspicious that could have saved the day or sword and stone. And I don't care about the argument that Bruce left it off. Uh, not Bruce, uh, pardon me. Ron was the reason that those songs didn't, you know, appear on the album. There was better material that could have made that album yeah. the equal of slippery. Had it been by a band other than one named kiss, because I think they were sullied no matter what they were going to, they could never be a deaf leopard because they always had that makeup hanging over them. <laughs> so my MVP is strictly, because of the guitar performance, and I've kind of raved about this before, Bruce's guitars on this album are equal to the work he does on Revenge, even though the aggression um, is kind of sonically you know, brought down by the production. It's still as attacking and dynamic yeah. as his guitar work on all the albums that he worked on, but particularly the one by which he's measured against Revenge. So his guitar work is absolutely stellar throughout. It was only, again, you know, as I started going back and really focusing and listening to it, that I was like, wow, that really is stunning guitar work. So, Bruce, uh, you are the MVP for me. And everyone who picked Ron is wrong. All right, moving on. We have to do it because we included Double Platinum, and no one really wanted to. Smashes, thrashes, and hits. (coughs) Mark, why don't you start us off? Oh man. Well, this was honestly the hardest thing of all the records to think of an MVP. And honestly, I was trying today, all day today. You know, I was in a really good mood, as I mentioned to you guys earlier. So I was thinking, okay, let me think about it now in this good frame of mind. And honestly, I still can't think of an MVP on this. This record to me is absolutely abysmal. I mean, I I know it's their best selling greatest hits probably in their catalog right now, like sell sales wise. But I just I don't like this record. I really despise it. I mean, the the remixes that were done on this. I mean, whoever did that needs to be like smacked like Mo in the Three Stooges. There, like just line that guy up and smack him because those those mixes are terrible. There's a fantastic website where this guy did a comparison of the mixes from before and these ones, and it's just alarming when you listen to how much they neutered the drums for example on like i love it loud or like strutter how the cymbals are just so washed out and don't sound good in the the remix version i mean all the versions of this like even the intro to love gun is so ugh, like nothing about the classic song sound good in the remixed fashion and there's only a few that were left untouched like lick it up and heaven's on fire but the rest of them are all touched okay tears are falling as well but 
everything else was touched. I mean, even even they had the balls to take rock and roll night, their classic song, and totally ruin that. I mean, the bass line's not even the correct bass line that Gene's playing in that version. It's a complete like, oh, okay, let's let me just put something down for now and I'll think of a better one later. It's a total like open string, open string, open. There's no walking bass in that version, like in the original one on the on the Dress to Kill. So I I really loathe this album. Yes, I do own it on CD and yes, I do own it on vinyl, but I, I I never listened to it. And I mean, this is the difference between when you get somebody like Sean Delaney who like every waking second of that like that project he was you know working hard on it finding the best things trying to mix and make it sound all cohesive whoever did this was i don't know what he was doing reading magazines in between you know selecting yeah that one's good yeah okay what's going on here okay next one okay yeah that's good enough it definitely sounds like they just took whatever they could find and slapped together a record and and that's what we got because I mean let's not even get into the two songs that were the the new ones they were both you know nothing to talk about but you know it, it this record really bugs me for me there's no MVP wow wow bloody you really did like that harsh words <laughs> we, we put a quarter in Mark today yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought you was talking about Bob Ezra in there anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know um. I went with Paul Stanley just because I, I, and I, I agree with a lot of what Mark's saying, but I did go with Paul Stanley because and it's difficult now if you're listening to Mark. Exactly. I, I'm trying to, I'm waiting for this. I'm one. trying to, Why I'm trying to rationalize my pick now and it, it's, 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 Mark made it very difficult, but I went with Paul Stanley because of the two new crappy songs. He's responsible for those two songs. Do I? If I don't listen to those two songs that often, but I do listen to those two songs a hell of a lot more than I listen to anything else on that record. Mm-hmm. So that being said, I will pick Paul Stanley because I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to the Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits remix version. Of I Love It Loud, Love Gun, or Deuce, or Shout It Out Loud, or Rock and Roll All Night. I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to any of those. But sometimes the mood does catch me right, where I want to listen to Let's Put the X in Sex, where I want to listen to You Make Me Rock Hard. It's not very often, but it's a hell of a lot more often than anything else on that record. So that being said is why I chose Paul Stanley as the MVP. See, there I could rationalize it. <laughs> that, that you were still committed to do so is the part that is really <laughs> staggering. Ken, have you changed your mind during this? No, no, I didn't change my mind. Um, I, you know, the MVP for this I chose because... On the you know opposite of Lonnie, uh, Paul was a, a failure on on this album. <laughs> By even bringing those two songs in, it was just there's no reason for it. They could have put two more Kiss songs, uh, other Kiss classics on there, and probably butchered those with whatever remix they would have done to those. <laughs> um, but I, I chose I chose Mercury. I guess was it Polygram Mercury, uh, the company, for having the you know, or gumption or the foresight to release this as a, a package out there at greatest hits. Um, you know, I do listen to it sometimes. I listen to it only because I just, I want to hear the little differences. <laughs> it's just interesting to me that, you know, what was done to some of these and you got kind of uh, shake your head like, why they do that? You know? Um, but so I give it to them because it's a, a big selling album. I'm sure a lot of people that, you know, maybe if it's their, their it's their double platinum. Um, awesome. You know, they they pick that up and then they start going back in the catalog and like, like, wait a minute, this I'm not used to hearing this version of Love Gun. This is this other version of Love Gun. Maybe they'll discover, you know, there was better versions obviously before. Um, so yeah, for them releasing that and then uh, I guess the, the remix, I, I gave the guys Brian was it Foraker and. A, a mention there uh, for the remixing, um, even though it's it's, it's the, a lot of them don't make sense, but I gave it to them. But mostly for Mercury, uh, just for you know putting it out. You know, 
real quick, you do bring up an interesting point that for some people that it is their double platinum. Mm-hmm. Um, it is their it is the first greatest hits package that they ever bought. Um, simply because you know you know it came out at the time it did. Double Platinum was 10, 10 years old at that point. It was a newer product. It was Kiss Without the Makeup, which was the Kiss that was on MTV at the time. Um, I, to- I, I was talking about my first Kiss concert that my brother and I went to it um, on the reunion tour. But we also brought um, a friend of mine with us, too. We had three tickets. And she was a couple years younger than us. She was just a, um, like a family friend of ours. And she went out and bought. She, she didn't know any songs all night. We were, it was supposed to be somebody else, and that person backed out the last minute. So it's like, oh, we'll just take her, you know, we're, you know, whatever. We had yeah. to fill the, we had to, we had to fill the ticket, you know. What space, I mean? a space filler. Correct. We had to fill it. I didn't want the ticket to go to waste. So anyway, she didn't know any songs all night, but she did know rock and roll all night at the end. Mm-hmm. So I saw her about a week later, and she went out. And, it's, and I was telling her, she's like, oh, you know, I, I might go get some, get some Kiss, you know. And I told her to get double, well, get double platinum, get double platinum. But she went out and got smashes, thrashes, and hits. So, you know, it's, so that, that that brings home for me a little bit that I think for some people it, it is their double platinum. And we sing double platinum's praises on this show all the time, how much we love double platinum. Um, and I know Andrew is a big fan of double platinum, too. You know, a, a lot of the hardcore Kiss fans are. But but I, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. That, and I think that rings true for a lot of people that became fans in the mid-'80s because smashes, thrashes, and hits sold very well. For a lot of people, it is their double play, which is really yeah. an interesting thought. Yeah, and, it, and it's interesting, too, that now that I remember, um, that version that I was completely harping on of Rock and Roll Night there is actually the one that my radio station here in Toronto, Q107, plays all the time when everybody's like, next coming up, Kiss. They play that version, and I know because I'm listening to it, and I don't hear the walking bass line. I'm like, oh, they're they're playing it's, this version? Why? Yeah. It's the version on um, the Days and Confused soundtrack, too. Mm. See what, yeah, that's what I mean. See, it's a, it's available to all these mediums where people would probably buy it, like these soundtracks. So, of course, like you said, this is probably why it's a lot of people's, you know, double platinum because they, they a lot of people like that movie. A lot of people were around during this time period who were getting into Kiss, too. So there you go. I'm not surprised, but it doesn't mean that I like it still. So <laughs> No, I it's not my double platinum. Double platinum is my double platinum. Yeah, I, sure. I'm, I'm sure. lucky. I'm lucky from that perspective, even becoming a fan in 1985. Yeah. Yeah. But I bought this when it came out. I played the living daylights yeah. out of it. You know, I didn't realize. You know, when I saw those videos of the new song, Paul's basically dancing like Carlton from Fresh Prince. <laughs> and they. They are really, really bad songs looking back, and I've not been able to listen to Let's Put the X since hearing that eight-year-old in the convention era. Yeah. You know, no. that, ju- that just ruined that song forever. Um, it, it just now feels completely... Um, I've canceled it. I'm guilty of cancel culture. <laughs> but, but in terms of you know trying to pick an MVP... It really does boggle the mind when we discuss things like Sword and Stone. There were better songs available that have been excluded from previous recent albums that were ignored in favor of Paul doing his best and writing these, you know, and then filming videos in a tent. You know, so I I cannot say anything positive about it now. I had Paul written down, but I'm going to agree with Mark. Mark Mark sold me. Mark converted me. I'm going to give him a a praise be hallelujah for his, you know, his monologue there. Um, There is no MVP for this album. Yeah, it's one of three albums legitimately certified double platinum, but that's fine. And there's some interesting things to listen for in those mixes. You mentioned the bass. Uh, I like the longer ending on Deuce. It was always something that stood oh, out yeah. um, in particular. And then, of course, the singles, the very, very rare 7-inch single from it and the 12-inch with all the, if anyone needs multiple remixes of that atrocious song. No, no. <laughs> no, the, the MVP was uh, that they had brought a lot of those songs back into the set in 1988, and at least they were celebrating their 15th anniversary in some way, uh, as, as much as it wasn't. All right, let's move on quickly out of the gutter into the shade. <laughs> All right, hot in the shade. Ken, get us started. Yeah, uh, I had a hard one with this one. Uh, <laughs> um, that's not a good. That's not a good line there. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> it's right after. Let's put the X in the sex. 
Jeez, give me a break. All right. Um, so on the shade, um, it was difficult. <laughs> Change my words that way. It was difficult to uh, pick uh, MVP. And I started thinking about it more. You know, it's pretty. I thought, oh yeah, I could pick the drum machine. Um, that'd be a good one. Um, but uh, yeah, Eric did drum on some of the album. I don't know how much he did. Um, there's rumors that there's been some other people on it too. Um, but uh, I would have picked. Uh, I, I know I couldn't pick anybody um, because it was so uneven. Uh, the the songs were not all there. It's just okay. It's demo, a lot of demo kind of stuff. So, so I went ahead and picked Michael Bolton uh, for the fact that he, you know, co-wrote forever. I I don't think he would have had that big hit. Had Michael Bolton not been involved, they wouldn't have had Forever as a huge hit. Paul wouldn't have come up with that by himself. Um, I think it may be more Michael Bolton than Paul. Um, and uh, I just think, you know, hey, that's the, that was the big thing. Everything else kind of fell flat out there when they put it out. But th that's the song that really kind of bounced, you know, the album and the tour, I think. Um, so... Michael Bolton, I gotta give him credit. Um, again, if he's not there, what are you gonna have? Uh, not, 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 nothing really <laughs> too exciting from that album. So he's he's the MVP for me. I would love to hear a Michael Bolton version of Forever. Yeah, it might be Actually, good. Depending on what he sounds like these days, but I think that well, would yeah, be you never know. interesting to hear his take on the song. Good, I mean, that's a good pick for an MVP. You know, hits is difficult. I went with Paul. I think just because his the quality of his songs just remained very consistent. I mean, for the most part, there really are good songs throughout the album. And because of Forever, obviously, I did go with that. And don't we have to say how it's a plastic hit or something? Like, no, we don't. I banned Sphinx. <laughs> so, whatever. Mark? Yeah, I went with uh, Paul Stanley as well. Um, much for some of the same reasons as Ken, uh, because I kind of figured that without the co-write of, you know, Michael Bolton and him on, you know, for forever, they even said it to themselves, that, that they wouldn't even toured on it. They were reluctant on touring on it because they didn't have anything that was really pushing the record as far as sales goes. So as soon as that album, I mean, that single took off and started getting play, Lo and behold, the tour is running proper. I mean, that's in a few books that I've read about Kiss that they said that that was the reasoning behind it. So, you know, and while we never know for certain how much who wrote what, you know, I, I, it still still kind of reeks of Paul Stanley cheesiness in there as well. So I wouldn't blame it totally on Michael Bolton. Uh, but I think that they're, I think I would give him 50-50 on that writing. But, you know, Paul, you know, he wrote some other songs that are pretty decent on here too that Julian attested to. I mean, Rise to It is a pretty good song. You do also have Hide Your Heart, which is a great song. You know, I like Silver Spoon. I've always liked that song. You know, so there's a lot of stuff on here that he also did that was, you know, decent. I can't say the same so much for Gene on this record. I think for these ones, this was really another one of these situations where he just opened his little black book and, okay, this one, okay, this one, okay, this, and just like, just grabbed anything and just decided to put it on there because I think that still he was not fully committed at this point still, I think, to the band. I mean, it was only until the next record that he started committing back, right? So so a lot of this stuff, I think, is direct on his part. But, you know, I, again, I don't want to step on Ken's toes too much. I well, know at, least very... he didn't, at least he didn't write Read My Body. Yeah. Okay. Well, he, of course, there is one. <laughs> okay. But, there, but that's the and thing. I love compared you to, to how many me. good ones there are uh, compared to that. There's a couple of things. There's, there's some good ones on there. <laughs> yeah. But I know. But, okay. but I mean, look, at the album has 15 songs. The album is already it's, it's like four long. or five yeah, songs way good. too long to yeah. begin with, right? Yeah. But, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not saying that Paul wrote some, like, you know, Grammy award winning songs on this thing. But, you know, I think that his songs are pretty, pretty decent, you know. I'd still listen to Rise to It and Hide Your Heart and stuff like that. They're pretty good, you know. So yeah. that's why I gave it to him. Okay. Lonnie? I gave it to Paul um, for a lot of the same reasons Mark did, where 
you know, I, I, I think his, I know he has some turds on the album and, and Gene has some turds on the album too, but I think the Paul songs outweigh the, the good Paul songs outweigh the good Gene songs and not in a gold star type way for any of the decent songs on here, except, except forever, which I can see why you did give the, the MVP to, to Michael Bolton, because with, without forever, who knows what happens, you know, who knows that there's a tour, who knows, you know, that you're, you're really looking rough and dead in the water. If you put out an album in 1989 and you can't even tour behind it, you know, Gene and Paul might be looking themselves in the mirror and say, what are we doing at this point? Um, if we, if we can't even muster a, a tour, but you know, the, the tour, the tour was great. The tour was successful. It's a lot of Kiss fans favorite tours is the hot in the shade tour. So, you know, thank, thankfully they did tour. Thankfully for Michael Bolton contributing that song. So I'm trying to tell, I'm actually talking my way into the same Michael Bolton's MVP as I'm going here. So. <laughs> but I'll stick with Paul Stanley just, just for the, the simple fact that his songs are, are the best on the album, and he does have the co-write with Forever, so I'll I'll still give it to Paul. And thankfully, they had Slaughter opening for them on the that too. Yeah, that just winger helped, helped a little <laughs> bit. Uh, little Caesar as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Little Caesar. All right. So moving on, we are in to Revenge, and there are so many MVPs ahead of that one person who co-wrote a few songs who I'm not even going to deem to mention. Um, the clear MVP for me, though, is Gene Simmons. Number one, visually, he was back. Number two, vocally, he was back. And number three, his songwriting was vastly improved to the 80s, um, even if it was still nothing ho- to write home about. Um, Lonnie, back to you for range. Um, yeah, this one was tough um, because I like so many aspects about the album. I love Bruce's guitar playing on it. Um, I, I I like the Paul Stanley songs on it, and I when, and I and I've talked about this multiple multiple times. I know, and I like the Gene songs too. And I I thought about giving it to. I, th- I thought about pulling a can and giving it th- to everyone just because I like it so much. <laughs> but I, and I thought about Bob Ezrin because Bob Ezrin, you know, pull, pull, say what you want. I mean, there, there's a big change from Hot in the Shade to Revenge. And then there's a big change from Revenge to Carnival of Souls. Well, what's the major, major difference is the producer. And God, I love the sound of Revenge. And I always have and I always will. And I, and I wish they would have kept Bob on for Carnival because I would have loved to hear what Carnival could have sound like with Bob in the same vein as Revenge. So, but I did go with Gene at the end of the day because I'll never forget seeing Unholy on MTV for the first time and being blown away and being converted from Kiss is my older brother's band into my band. And that, I mean, I, I always liked them. You know, my brother had Smashes, Thrashes, and Hits on cassette. He had Creatures. He had Destroyer on cassette. I knew a lot of the songs. But and but they were my brother's band. Because I'd always hear them in the other room. But from that moment on, they became my band. And I've never looked back. And it's because of, it's because of Gene. I mean, you, look at Gene's contributions. Look at Unholy. Look at Domino. Um, you guys are going to laugh, but I love the song Spit. I love everything Gene has put out on there. And I, I like Paul's stuff too, but don't get me wrong. But it goes back, I think, to that moment of seeing Unholy and seeing Gene and seeing the look like Julian mentioned. You know, he finally looked right without the makeup. And he si- finally sounded right without the makeup. So it, to me, it has to be Gene. It, it was tough, but it has to be Gene. Nice. I'm getting all teary-eyed listening to that. <laughs> Mark. Well, I mean, my experience with this, it was it was very easy to pick this one for me. And a lot of it will sound similar to Lonnie, except that instead of Gene, it was with Bruce. Because when I first heard Unholy, 
the 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 first thing that came to to mind when I heard that song on the on MTV and I saw them or much music was not look at Gene and listen to how fantastic or how cool he looks. Is like what my first reaction was: holy shit! Listen to that guitar solo. What happened to Bruce's guitar sound? It sounds amazing on this record. It was so ominous and so you know like hairy and it had this wah on it and stuff. I was like, wow, what the hell happened to his Lita? I love it. I mean, he was total balls to the wall on this record. Every song on this record, when I listen to it, I never think about Paul or Gene or Eric Singer. I'm always like, listen to Bruce on this album. Every, even the songs I don't really like too much, Bruce is on fire in the solo department on this record. So for me, I've, I've always said it, that this record is fantastic. It's one of the ones I kind of give, you know, Ezra in a light pass on because he did do a really, you know, decent job on it for for production wise. Nothing fantastic, but it was good. But he definitely improved, you know, Bruce Kulik's guitar sound. I'll give him that. Uh, I'll give him full credit for that. It sounds amazing. I remember that when I saw Bruce Kulik at one of these uh, Kiss conventions where he was a special guest, he went up there to do some, guitar, you know, examples of his playing, and it was all on this record stuff he never he never played anything from any other albums it was just all backing tracks from revenge and he would even said to the people in the audience he goes this was when he was happiest and most comfortable playing guitar in the studio was when he had this guitar sound and it totally it totally sounds like that to me because he plays so well it, he just sounds unhinged it's like he was he was in a cage the whole time and then somebody opened the door and let him out and he went completely wild and uh, for me Every day of the week, I'll pick Bruce as the MVP on this record because of that. His soloing is just outstanding. So he sounds unholy. Yes. His guitars. Yeah. <laughs> I wish Bruce would do one thing. He's doing a lot of these videos during this time. I wish he would take the Do You Want to Touch Me Now track and put the lead work on it. Just come up with some lead. You know, maybe even have Todd do the vocals. You know, that would be mm. great to hear a finished version of that track with Bruce reinvesting that attitude from the era. Uh, Ken. Yeah, well, uh, well, I I do agree with Mark that you know Bruce was, was great on this album, and I think it is part of the production that you know uh, um, Bob Ezrin did uh, for that for his guitar. Um, which you know brought it out, but um, Gene, you know, is is the guy on this one um, for a lot of the reasons that Lonnie mentioned. You know, his look is back. He's invested. He's done with the movie making stuff, um, and and in the songs and his vocals are, are all great. I mean, on point. I mean, unholy, just fantastic, and. Uh, and just like Lonnie, I like Spit too. I think it's a great. I always loved, I always liked the song, Domino. You know, Thou Shalt Not, Paralyzed. All, just all good stuff. All of it's good. So, I I had to pick Gene. I know there's some people that took uh, about 24 albums that we've gone through just to pick Gene one time in 24 mm -hmm. albums. That's just two people I can think of. Who would one of them be, Ken? If you're going to name names, you know, is it, is it one of them have a red not background Mark. today? Not Mark. Oh, oh not Mark. Not Mark. Mm. <laughs> so, so deduct from that. We hold Gene to a very high standard That's and right. he, he really right. hit the mark on this and, album. Right. And there's other thing. The other thing too is, you know, if if you think about it, you, you take, you know, if you take Gene's songs over here, this this is not going to be that great of an album, you know. If he's if he's doing more like uh, his phoned in material, um, it would be probably more like it would have been ended up more like Animal Eyes, <laughs> you know. So he he was back. He was really back, and it was good to see him back at that time. It was. A good thing for the band so gene's the guy mvp i i have to say that i i give it just an honorable little mention for for vinnie vincent for you know contributing to some you know songwriting in it no there you go. okay moving on <laughs> alive three lonnie why don't you get us started on that one um alive three i went with bruce kulik 
Um, I feel Bruce really shines on these on on this album, playing a lot of the songs that. Grant, there's some revenge songs on there, but he's he's playing a lot of these songs that that he didn't play um, necessarily in the studio. Uh, but he really, really brings them out in a live setting. And you can criticize a live three all you want. And we've talked about a live three criticizing the sound on it, and it's not a good representation of what those revenge shows sounded like. But I think Bruce really shines on this album um, from Creatures of the Night at the very beginning, you know, all the way through the Star Spangled Banner at the end. I think Bruce's playing on it is phenomenal. And again, Mark talks about how comfortable Bruce was at this point in his life and um, during the revenge era. And I think that his playing not only comes out on a live three, but if you watch um, a lot of those revenge, either those club shows or the arena tours, or, you know, even some of those South America stuff from 94, you know, Bruce just really seems to fit in with the band and the band style and, and, everything that was going on with the band at the time. I think Bruce was the perfectly guitarist for, um, for this, for this time period of the band. So, and not just the time period, but, but it, but it was his playing, his playing on the album is fantastic. Um, all the way through. Um, and I thought about Eric because Eric, Eric Singer really sounds good. And he really brings out the drums, especially just the beginning hearing those creatures, that drum intro to creatures, just but, but I can't, give Eric the MVP because I like the way the intro of the first song is. So uh, Bruce throughout the album, though, shine. So I, I have to give it to him. Nice. Mark, how about you? Well, I went with Bruce again, uh, much for some of the reasons that I mentioned on, uh, on revenge, uh, his guitar playing at this point is very dialed in. I mean, I think at this point he knows exactly what he wants to sound like exactly how he wants to play stylistically and I mean, the the thing that you can tell as a I mean, as a guitar player, I, I kind of pick up on these things where he's playing solos now on older songs and they sound just as proper as anything that Ace could have played. Like when you listen to watching you on this, I mean, he it definitely adds his, you know, full blown, distorted kind of guitar sound that he has on Revenge onto these songs and what he plays on these old songs fits perfectly. I mean, he he throws in a lot of the A stuff in there, but he does throw in a little bit of Bruce here and there on the classic songs, you know. And I I really love how he attacks these songs on here. Great sound. I mean, it, it, you know, everybody's you know had these comments about you know oh, Elias three. It, it, it's such a phony record. You know, they got rid of all of Paul's authentic raps out of there and stuff like that. But you know what? should be used to it by now. Every one, every Kiss live album is a phony forgery. I mean, everything is redone on all of these live albums. You should be used to it by the third one. So who cares about that? I mean, I think Kramer, you know, it wasn't his best mix job. It was a little odd in the mid-range, I thought, overall. But it's still a very powerful sounding live album. And I still think that Bruce really shines on this. And I mean, even the live video, I think it was what, uh, uh, Confidential or I forget what the name of the live album was, or the live video. Yeah, li- oh yeah, yeah, that one yeah. is uh, fantastic. I mean, I think that his performances on there really stand out. And I mean, especially when you think about how Paul and Gene were saying that when he first joined the band, he was kind of in the back, just kind of standing there playing. And, you know, they called him, you know, Bruce the Spruce because he just stood there like a tree, right? <laughs> but now, at this point, like I said, he's very comfortable with his, with his playing. He's all over the place. He's running around the stage. He has his guitar slung nice and low. And he's playing... Like great stuff, a lot of cool whammy bar stuff, a lot of bluesy stuff, a lot of you know he can do the he can do the you know the Ace, he can do the Mark St. John, he can do the Vinny, he can do everything at this point, and it all sounds cool. So for me, I think that at this point Bruce was one of these guys that people kind of took a notice to, especially us kind of guitar players who was into you know getting guitar for the practicing musician and wanting to learn all these cool solos. Bruce was now suddenly elevated up into that stratosphere as a guitar player that would be cool to learn his licks and solos. Bruce was at the heights of his powers here. Mm-hmm. 1990 to 95, he was a man on fire on the guitar. And I just couldn't give it to anyone else because I didn't give him the nod for revenge for his guitar work. It, You get a whole live album's worth on this mm-hmm. one. Ken. <clears throat> Yeah, for, uh, me too. Bruce, for the same reasons, I'm not going to go on. You pretty much 
between a couple of you, you know, said it all. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great compilation of at least the songs he performed on, uh, his great solos that he's, he's done uh, on the albums that uh, he was the guitarist. And then, you know, does you know, a good job of uh, doing these, uh, you know, switching up the ace stuff, um, but it's still making it sound good. Um, and, it, and it still works. So, yeah, I agree. He was at the height of his powers at at the time, and actually for many years, you know, from you know, probably Asylum uh, through that point. So, he was just solid, just solid guitar player. And I picked him. I, it's not one of my favorite albums, really. It really isn't one. I think I liked it when it first came out, but I just don't like the production of it in general. Um, but uh, yeah, Bruce is the MVP. I loved it when it came out. I was laid up with a broken kneecap and listened yeah. to it. Had my mom, my mom was visiting, so she went out and got it for me at Woolworths, so or Boots or something, and uh, I yeah. played the hell out of that cassette. And you know, it just reminds me of that time, really. All right, moving on. We're not going to talk about Kiss My Asterixes. Um, MTV Unplugged and Lonnie. Actually, this was tough. This was tough too, because. Um, Every, everyone, all six members of KISS, um, had great contributions to this to this album and to this performance. So it was really tough. I mean, Bruce plays his ass off on here. Um, Eric really is a... Eric's drumming is phenomenal on here. Gene is great. And then Ace and Peter are great, too. But I had to give it to Paul Stanley again. Um, Paul Stanley's vocals on this album sound better than anything I can remember or I can even think of at all. From Coming Home to I Still Love You and Every Time I Look at You. I mean, Paul Stanley is at his prime and like at his peak on this album. Um, to the point, like when when they do, I still love you, and at the end, Gene Simmons just goes, Paul Stanley, you know, because mm. you, you can tell Gene Gene's just impressed with what his partner, what his brother is, is doing, sitting right next to him. I mean, um, to me, it's Paul, just just vocally, he is just above and beyond anything he's ever done at this at this point in time. I mean, they they were so well rehearsed and so polished for this show by the time they got there. They, they've been doing so many unplugged shows throughout the United States and originally in Australia by the time they got there. They, they were so polished and so crisp and so clean. Um, and Paul's vocals were just phenomenal. Like I said, I, I couldn't have given it to any any of the six or all six for that matter, but but Paul's vocals just knock it out of, out of the park. So I have to give it to him. Ken? Yeah, well, this is one of those ones. I mean, yeah, I could have given Paul or whoever but you know yeah paul did sing great on that i think that one version of uh um <laughs> just i just blanked out on the song but the one from revenge every um, time i look at you every time i look at you thank you um was that's the be- best version of it and it's it's better it's kind of like how going blind is better mm-hmm. uh, unplugged also um those those two songs really stand out as great songs uh on that album versus the their original release um but i had picked i picked the whole you know like you said they're all great they were they were all great did their job um and just to have you know you know ace and peter back for the little bit they they had um was was great it was just a bit a big huge deal i don't know how it would have went down if ace and peter didn't come back uh, on that show. I mean, it, it wouldn't wouldn't have been the same uh, as it as it is. I mean, it would have been great. Would have been sounded get good. It would have said, okay, yeah, it was a great kiss unplugged. But that kind of put that yeah, it was that cherry on top that that they got there and and the kick they needed. And I think it, it it put a lot of excitement in the air uh, for old you know old kiss fans and then some of these new people would never never really knew that they could do this kind of stuff uh, that they were all just makeup you know and and not music so it's it's all ace gene peter paul bruce and eric singer um and it's too bad you know we didn't have eric Carr there um 
it would have been nice if he was still around. So anyway, that's it. Kiss as a group. Who would have Plus thought? Two. The voice of reason is sentimental. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Mark. Yes. Well, this was a, this was pretty hard actually. I thought because there was two people on on my list that I had as potential MVP. Now the one I was going to go with initially was Eric Singer because when I first saw this, the one thing that stood out to me immediately was his drumming. I thought that wow, like they're playing acoustic and he's really giving it some fire on these songs. It's unbelievable the drumming. I mean, and then the funny thing is too. I remember when I got this, I brought this to my girlfriend's, well, my ex-girlfriend's house, and her father wanted to watch it with me down on the, they have like a big 70-inch television, so we mm. were watching it on there, and the first thing that came out of his mouth when, when we got to about song three was, he goes, this drummer is really good, and that kind of stood out to me, I've always remembered that, because he was never really one of these big musical guys, you know, but he right away jumped on the fact like I did, that this that he was really the one who was, I thought, giving the energy to these songs. Coming Home has never sounded as good as it did on this night, and I give a lot of that to, to Eric Singer because his drumming is very percussive, very rolling and moving on this song, much more than Peter Chris ever did in this song, and he does that, he does that, does that for a lot of his songs. I mean, you know, even World Without Heroes and songs like that, he added such a good touch to all these songs they really stood out a lot more in acoustic form than some of them ever did in electric form. So that was one of the ones I was really leaning towards. But I had to give it to Alex Coletti because if it wasn't for him and his idea of doing this to begin with, there wouldn't have this wouldn't have happened. And, and if you think about it even beyond this, there wouldn't have been no reunion thing because this was a, the direct thing that caused the reunion of the makeup kiss. So if anybody should be getting an MVP award here for this, and especially for this album, is him. He was the one who was sweating. You know, is Ace coming? I heard he's not coming. Something happened. Oh, he he want, he backed out the last second. Let's rework it out. I mean, we all know this. We all saw all these documentary footages and stuff like that. So this is nothing new. I'm telling you. You guys all know this too. But you know, I think that sometimes people forget that that without him pushing and in the background getting this stuff to you know kind of work itself out come on guys we can do it let's really try to get peter in here and let's really try to get ace involved and stuff like that you know because i think really i think paul and them would have been happy enough just to go up there and do it the four of them you know with bruce and eric but i Mm -hmm. think that he kind of put that bug in his ear and said listen man there's something magical could really happen here if we bring these other guys look what happened when you brought peter in in los angeles look what happened when you brought ace here you know I, i think that his extra effort that he put into that really gave us a record that we're all extremely happy with as KISS fans and also gave us something that we're very grateful for as KISS fans is the reunion tour. So thank you, Mr. Alex Coletti. Yeah, we still gush over this album. I mean, it's so easy to. It yeah. really is a fantastic album. For me, the MVP makes me think of that uh I think it was last year or the year before, there was a vocal coach reaction video to Paul mm-hmm. Stanley singing I Still Love You on this, and just how her jaw was dropping. Um, yeah, I still get those feels when watching this performance or listening to it. Paul Stanley's vocals here are making their final stand in some way. This is the king of the mountain vocals you know on stuff like sure know something on i still love you on absolutely gorgeous every time i look at you uh, even got to choose and coming home his vocals are absolutely beyond any superlatives that i can label them with and that's why he is for me the mvp on this album i love how mark talked about eric singer's drumming because that is such a nuanced part of the performance that helps make it so magical along with ace and peter obviously appearing on it and gene's pretty darn good too i i, I shut my eyes i just see him holding that that uh fairing to the base you know it, you know he, he he was cool the whole band was exceptional bruce's guitar work as well mm-hmm. you know so it really to this day remains and we're coming up to the 25th anniversary of the release of the album in march wow crazy go figure crazy nights all right moving on to the last album in part three of this mvp battle ken start us off with you wanted the best <laughs> you sure as hell didn't get it with this package you wanted the best 
literally, the, you wanted the best. You wanted the best, but you didn't get All the right. best. So here's us. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, you know, it's too bad they didn't at least like was intended or wanted by what is was it Goldsmith? I don't know. They wanted to wanted Goldberg. Them to do Danny Goldberg. Or Goldberg. Danny Goldberg to do a, a couple of new songs, um, record a couple of new songs on here. Um, that would have been great. Well, we, we might have gotten you know another. You make me rock hard or something. But you know, um, I, that would have been the way to go. I think um, maybe do that. A couple of new songs with a new band. And usually when you tour, you tour you know following an album or a release. Um, they're just touring on, of course, the their original hype from nineteen, you know, the seventies, you know, when they had the makeup on. So, anyway, the problem here is they, again, kind of like smashes, thrashes, and his, they tinkered with the stuff and you know uh, gave us what we would have wanted is yeah some cool stuff from the live and alive two era music that we didn't get on Alive or Alive 2 on the albums. Um, they gave us that stuff, but then they re-recorded stuff. And then when you hear Paul Stanley, you know, wait a minute, that's not Paul Stanley from 1976 or whatever. That sounds like Paul Stanley, you know, a couple of years ago. It's like, wait, you know, you're like, you're scratching yourself, you know, this is not right. It just doesn't, it doesn't sound right. Um, so why not just give us the original freaking thing? You don't have to tinker with it. We know there's not, it's not always perfect, these recordings. Just give it to us the way it was recorded originally off the soundboard or whatever. Um, so that's, so that's a big problem. So having, having said that, um, I couldn't give it really an MVP except for the artwork by <laughs> the artwork for the album, the cover, uh, you know, the inside artwork. I liked actually, I thought the CD was cool because they this is the first time they did like a colored, mm-hmm. you know, that colored, use that color kind of thing. That was some bands were doing at the time. Uh, like, uh, I can't remember, there's been a few, but uh, I thought Allison Chains, Allison Chains was one. Yeah, I remember having that one, mm-hmm. and and so. Yeah, I thought, oh, that's cool. They did something, you know, pretty cool here. But uh, unfortunately, the the stuff inside, yeah, there's there's moments, but they really ruined it. So I just got to give it to the artwork guys of Louis Louis Marino and Ron Ransom. Yeah, wholesale <laughs> sonic mutilation is not tinkering. I mean, it's basic sonic necrophilia. What they did to this <laughs> album. Um, absolutely atrocious uh, i i and it wasn't danny goldberg it was robert v conti of course who had the original uh suggestion of what you wanted the best should have been and they didn't go okay. with those ideas they did indeed go with a, now for something completely different um here's an abomination mark yeah this is another one of these difficult records to discuss as far as who to give the mvp to because much like what ken was talking about earlier when you first hear about this record that there's going to be a you know greatest hits package again, but there's going to be unheard live material on it. At first, I was excited about that. I was like, wow, we're going to hear some unreleased stuff from back in the day. But like Ken said, you listen to it and you're like, this is not from back in the day. The drums sound tinkered with. Paul's vocals are not the same. And then later on, years later, if you do more investigative research and stuff, you you even sink your head lower in shame when you realize that Bruce Kulick went in and redid guitar overdubs on many songs, like, for example, Room Service, Two Timer, and even Take Me, he went in and redid guitar stuff for. So come on, man. I mean, what I've always been confused with this about Kiss. Many bands that I know have put out their on various recordings, whether it's Crimson or, you know, Yes, and other bands have released recordings that were done from the board that were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but their fans loved it and bought them up in droves. I mean, there's a a progeny box that that Yes did, which was like seven or eight shows in a row from the Close to the Edge tour that were recorded straight from the board, put the CD, 
there's errors galore on it. There's mistakes, there's stumbles, false starts here and there. But you know what? The Yes fans were loving it because they wanted to hear something like that that they never heard before. Same thing with Crimson. There's so many bad things that they had in their bad recordings or even great recordings. And, you know, give us something fresh and new. What What is this kind of thing with Kiss where they're like, we can't possibly let them hear that we made a mistake live. <laughs> well, we hear it all the time live. You guys never play a perfect show. Look at the YouTube concerts that, that appear. They're never flawless. Not a one that I've seen has been perfect. So why can't you just give us these audio things that we want or video things? It's not going to make us go, oh, I didn't know Kiss was that bad. Like We've been knowing this for 30, 40 years already. Come on, man. So you can give us this stuff you know, in, in a package that we all would enjoy. Why not? That's why I get mad when these kind of things, when they go in and they, they fix it all. We can't make us look bad. Come on. We have to make sure that every lick is good. My singing is perfectly done come on yeah because that's really accurate to the way you are live right so come on I, I i really hated that and that's why i put down jay leno as the mvp because at least when i got this that that was the one thing that i actually got that was actually what i expected i wanted to hear an interview you know he did an interview and that's what at least it's authentic you know nobody wanted you know they didn't get dave david letterman to go in and do it and then claim that it was Jay Leno. You know what I mean? So I, I just think that this is perfect. You know, that that was the only thing on this CD that I think was authentic and wasn't tampered with most likely. So my 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 MVP is Jay Leno. The rest of the, the album is just it's just bad memories for me. Wow. We're getting our money's worth out of Mark today. That's awesome. Lonnie. <laughs> You're in the unenviable position of trying to follow that. <clears throat> Again. So. <laughs> Sorry. You know, no. I remember being. We really haven't had a really good discussion about this album in all the years we've been doing this show. <laughs> so it's actually, it's, you know, it's kind of fun because I remember when the album came out. And seeing the advertisements in Hit Parader and in Metal Edge about. You know, you wanted the best, you got the best. Coming out in June, whatever it was, right before the reunion tour kicked off. Right before the reunion tour kicked off. Kiss hype was at a maximum. You know, um, it really was. I was seeing the band a few, like like a week or so from the day the album came out. And you guys remember, there used to be a store called Blockbuster Music. Yeah. And you could go to Blockbuster. I went to Blockbuster Music, the weekend before the album came out and they had it and blockbuster music was really cool because you could go there and they would let you listen to a cd before you would buy it and they had you one of the best you got the best and i got to sit down and listen to it that saturday afternoon and i was so excited I'm like oh these unreleased tracks you know and i used to remember sitting there and and being underwhelmed you know what i mean just you know, I knew I knew two timer. I, I I had dressed to kill. You know, I I had I've heard room service, but I just remember being underwhelmed. And you 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 can't you can't fool me with fake crowd noise. First of all, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. You you can't fool me because I hear the fake crowd noise to start off, and I'm like, now I'm 16 years old and totally in love with Kiss, and you know, it's the greatest thing ever. I'm going to see the original band here in a week, and just like, really. Really? This is this is what we're doing. And and then I remember buying it, you know, and I went back to Blockbuster Music and bought it um, that Tuesday because if you bought it at Blockbuster Music, you got that uh, the extra single of, mm-hmm. of New York Brew, which you know was really the incentive to buy it there. But I remember, then I got in the car and we were driving home. My brother drove me home and and he's listening. He's listening to to Room Service. And he's are they going to play this next? Are they going to play this when we see him? I go, no, they're not going to play Room Service. Come on. And he's like, I guess it's a two-timer. Are they going to play this? I'm like, no. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, well, why are these the lead songs after their album that's coming on the week before their tour then? And I go, yeah, I don't have an answer for you for that. <laughs> and, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, why didn't – there's so many cool things you could have done. Okay, you don't want to put out new music with Ace and Peter right before the reunion because you're really going to tour on your history and tour on your past. I get it. Well, then put out that put out some songs off that that King Biscuit alive, mm. flaws and all, errors and all. 
Man, now, now I would have eaten that up at 16 years old. Like, it didn't have to be the version of Firehouse off Alive. I have Alive. Mm-hmm. Everybody going out and buying this album had Alive. I didn't need a new version of Firehouse and a new version of Shout It Out Loud. Or I'm sorry, it's not a new version. It's the same version of Firehouse and the same version of Shout It Out Loud. I didn't need it. But I would have loved to have the King Bissick version of Black Diamond, Raw, and just here it is, warts and all. I would... The 16-year-old in me wouldn't have heard any warts on that because I would have eaten it up and loved it because I would have known that you're not trying to fool me. So my MVP for this album is the artist for the uh, – is the, the gentleman who contributed the artwork, Louis Marino, because the artwork's cool. The artwork is kick-ass, and the artwork you know, it was on every T-shirt sold in 1996. Yeah. How many how many people went and saw Kiss in 1996 and got that artwork on the front of their shirt and said, I won the best, I got the best on the back. And boy, were you damn proud to wear that around. I know I sure as hell was, and I wore the hell out of that T-shirt. <laughs> so that being said, I'm giving it to him because I can't give it to anything else on that album. As much as I loved Kiss in 1996, I can't do it. So... There's my there's my rant on you, unless you got the best. Very nice. Yeah, how the hell am I supposed to follow those? Sorry. You know, it's it's garbage. When it came out, I you know went down to you know Glasgow City Center, picked up a copy, got home, listened to it. The vocals were so clearly messed up. The hits were so pointless. And then that freaking interview. 17 minute interview with someone who I despise. You know, I, just, I you shut your eyes and all you see is chin. Um, and it, it, it was just garbage, garbage, garbage. But the artwork is really cool. So, um, yeah, it, it's a real letdown when you think of how great that front cover is and then how bad the contents are that I, I give it to the artist as well. And again, Robert Conti's alternative was a much better one than what it ended up being. And it just, at that point I realized kiss really cool. Screw up. Absolutely. Anything. Won't they? Um, <laughs> Not even trying. It's really the beginning of them actually screwing up like anything. I, I, I mean, you can't even put out one. something to tour for the reunion properly with you just ruin it pointlessly. Yeah. There's absolutely no way, no reason. And I, again, I would love to hear the story of who made that decision, who thought that actually sounded good was it an attempt to make it sound like people were going to be hearing on tour um you know to was there some logic behind that madness because there's gold records of that damn thing you know so so there we are all right that's round three of the mvp album battle asylum through you wanted the best there'll be another episode down the road, I think next week we're going to do a look at rock and roll podcast. And for that episode, Mark has set an album for us to listen to, to discuss. And uh, you'll have to tune in to find out which album he selected for us. It isn't the one on his T-shirt, thankfully. No. All right. All right. That's it for this week. Who is your MVP for each of these albums? Who got it wrong? Whose hot take was the hottest on the show today? Was it Mark or was it Lonnie? <laughs> Let us know wherever you listen or watch this show. We do appreciate your support. So for now, from Lonnie, Ken, Mark, and myself, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Woohoo! Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.